Thanks for tuning in to the Eccles Business Buzz podcast. Today, I have the honor to speak with Gail Miller. Gail Miller is the owner of Larry H. Miller Group of Companies and immediate past chair of the board of directors of Larry H. Miller Management Corporation. Beginning with the purchase of a single Toyota dealership in 1979, the Larry H. Miller Group is now comprised of more than 80 businesses and properties employing over 10,000 people. Gail serves as chair of Intermountain Healthcare's Board of Trustees and is on the Zions Bank Advisory Board. She serves on the President's Campaign Senior Advisory Council at the University of Utah, the President's Leadership Council at Brigham Young University, and co-chairs the Kem C. Gardner Policy Institute's Advisory Board. Gail is also a member of the Utah Impact Partnership Board and Shelter the Homeless Board. The Gail Miller Resource Center for Homeless Men and Women bears her name. She's the author of Courage to Be You, Inspiring Lessons from an Unexpected Journey. Gail presides over the Larry H. Miller Education Foundation and the Larry H. and Gail Miller Family Foundation. She gives generously of her time and resources to civic endeavors. Welcome to the Eccles Business Buzz, Gail. Thank you very much. (laughs) It's good to be here. We are so honored to be speaking with you today on the topic of perseverance, one that I know you can speak to very well. (laughs) I can try. To get into things and get us started today, I would love to hear more about your connection to the Eccles community and to the university as a whole. You know, you have been such a tremendous supporter of women's initiatives at the U and scholarships both at the U and the David Eccles School of Business. And I would love to hear how you initially got involved with the, with the university community and what inspired you to get connected to higher education. We've been in business in Utah for 42 years, and we are very much uh, what I would call supporters of education, all education. But when we're talking about higher education, I cannot tell you exactly when we got involved or when I got involved with the David Eccles School of Business, it was probably around the time the LaSalle building was built. We were donators to that. Of course, before that, I knew the Eccles family. I knew of their influence at the U and the many good things they do. And it's hard to be a part of this city and not be aware of all the things the Eccles do. This is just one part, but I know it's a big part of what they do. And we're just really happy to be connected with the name and the effort and the good things that they do, especially at the university. And what inspired you to give to so many of the women's initiatives at the U and at the business school? I... I think it comes from the fact that I was able later in life to get into business. It wasn't something I aspired to. It was something that kind of fell into my lap because my husband and I co-owned our business, but I never worked in it until he passed away. And when I became responsible as the sole owner to maintain the business and preserve the business, it was it was possible because he had taught me all about it. and We had done things together over the years, and I knew what it took for him to build the business and to be his supporter 
because we would talk about it all the time. So when I was in the trenches of running our company after my son stepped down as CEO, I think it put me in a position of recognition in the community that here's a woman who took this business, she stepped in, she didn't make it fail, she hung on and was successful. And I think as that happened, other women looked at what I did and felt that I was a role model, not something I ever aspired to be, nor did I ever aspire to be a businesswoman. But that's why I feel it's important to support women as they want to become uh, successful either in the business world or nonprofit world or education or whatever they want to do. If I can be an influence by supporting women in their endeavors, I'm happy to do that. And what an influence you have been to people all over Utah and all over the United States, really. You mentioned never aspiring to be a businesswoman. You know, when you were growing up, what did you aspire to? I'd love to hear more about your upbringing and all that. I was born during World War II, actually, a little bit after. I was born in 43. And we were, I was the sixth of nine children in our family structure. We were four. And I always enjoyed creating, and my mother taught me how to sew. And so as a child, I wanted to be what I called a housewife designer, which meant to be a wife and mother, but I wanted to design clothing and sew and be creative. It didn't ever come to pass. I did decide after I graduated from high school that I would go to college, but I didn't have any money. So I worked for a year. And then I worked at the telephone company, and they had a program where I could work part-time and go to school. I went one quarter at the U. It was really scary for me. My parents were not parents who encouraged higher education because it just wasn't something they did. And they also encouraged us to do whatever we wanted, but left it pretty much up to us and was incapacitated. I was the oldest one at home. And they relied on me to help support the family. So I just never went back. I went back to work full time, helped to support the family, and then got married a few years after that and never finished my education. And that's been something I've always felt that I deprived myself of. If I could go back and do that, that would be very fulfilling to me. But I think that's why education is really important. I can see what it provides or not just women, but anyone who goes to college, it's not just the education you get, it's all of the other part of it, everything that goes with it. It's being able to prepare yourself in life with what education gives you. It's having exposure to how the world works and to a variety of organizations and institutions and people, all kinds of people that makes them well-rounded and prepares them to go out into the world and take responsibilities uh, that help to make society function well. Those are things I think are so beneficial about an education. Absolutely. If you went back to school tomorrow, what would you major in? I would probably major in some kind of administration, some I think that would help me a lot in my role today to be able to understand all the nuances that 
being in a role that I've been in would make it easier, being able to understand how to organize people and be a leader in governance and some maybe business administration. You mentioned growing up that money was really tight for your parents. And you mentioned that that first semester of college was so scary. What was it like? You say that it was tight, but can you can you kind of tell me more about money being tight in your family and what that looked like? I'm happy to do that. I don't know if you can relate, though, because you're very young. And my parents were married in 1928, which is a long time ago, almost 100 years. But they had five children during the Depression. And my father had a hard time getting and keeping work because he wasn't educated either. He had an eighth grade education. And so we struggled with having enough to eat, having food, clothing. We did have a home, but it was very old pioneer home in downtown, just north of downtown Salt Lake. And I loved it, but it wasn't one of those big mansion estates. It was very humble. And we worked hard. And I was the sixth and I was born during the war, so they weren't recovered from the Depression. And then they had three more children after me. So there was a total of nine, one, the last girl. They had four boys and then four girls and then another boy. But the fourth girl passed away at birth. So we were raised in a humble home with very little money. And I don't feel like I was deprived because our parents taught us how to be creative, how to make do with what we have, how to develop our talents, how to have confidence in ourselves. And so I learned a lot of things from not having much that helped me to navigate in a practical way in the world. Absolutely. I'm sure that influenced you throughout your life and prepared you for the challenges that you've faced since. It's interesting how the things that you go through in life do build your character and build that. I call it a tapestry of your life because everything you do adds to that quilt that you're making. And some parts of it are brightly colored and some are not quite so beautiful. But when it's all put together, it's quite nice. I wouldn't change any of it. Absolutely. The last year and a half has really been full of challenges for so many, particularly companies, small businesses. What was your biggest priority as the Larry H. Miller group of companies navigated the challenges of the pandemic? I would say our biggest priority was survival. And it was survival because we had no idea what the pandemic would do to the patronage of our company. We had customer-facing businesses like the jazz, the arena, the theater, the auto dealerships. They're all places where you have to have customers to survive. And when people were not able to go out and frequent our businesses, of course, income dropped. So we did a lot to prepare by, well, to manage by cutting expenses. We had to cut the payroll some. We, we had to ask people to take cut and pay. We had to do things that we had to furlough people. And we took a really big hit 
with the loss of revenue from the Utah Jazz because there were no games in the arena. We still had to pay the players. We had to pay all of the expenses of running an arena. So it was it was very difficult. And I don't want to Im- indicate that that's why we sold the jazz because it wasn't. We were not looking to sell the jazz. That just fell in our lap. But it was very difficult at the time. And then fortunately, the dealerships were deemed a necessary business. So they were allowed to stay open so that the frontline workers could have their cars serviced or buy automobiles. So that having this the trade-off of those two parts of our business really is what helped us survive. Absolutely. It's exciting to see things coming back and to see theaters opening again, to see people getting back out there. It's true. And I'm really proud of the way we navigated that because even though we couldn't play games in the arena, we were able to designate it as a polling place for the elections. We were able to hold a blood drive when that was necessary. And I think it was the biggest blood drive the state had ever run. It was like 900 people came to donate blood. And every unit of blood will serve three people. So it was a lot of help in, in needing in the blood need. And then for our theaters, we figured out people like our popcorn. So instead of going to a theater, we sell popcorn and they could drive up and pick it up and go home and watch a movie. And then in December, we wanted to do something to celebrate because we knew people were not able to get out and about. So we created some concerts that were televised and they were well received and they lifted the spirits of people who needed it at the time. So we tried to make a difference. We tried to use our resources in a way that benefited those who had helped us get them. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. It's funny that you mentioned the popcorn because I've been one of those people going to pick up popcorns every, every Thursday. My husband and I do movie night and it's just not the same without that popcorn. (laughs) You and your late husband, Larry, started this whole business that has grown with just a single Toyota dealership in 1979. And wow, has that grown. You have over 80 car dealerships and a variety of other businesses that you mentioned, the financial, the sports, the real estate companies, and you employ over 10,000 people. I'd love to hear what you've learned about perseverance over the years through all of those business ventures. I think, let me correct you just for one thing. We have over 80 businesses, but we have 60 dealerships. Okay. But you're right. We have 80 different businesses. And what we've learned is business is, it's a dynamic venture. And there are a lot of businesses that are connected. For instance, if you sell a car, you need financing. So we created a financing company. If you want to protect your car, you need to have service. So we created ways that people would come back to us for service or buy protective products, things on your car that theft protection, those kinds of things. So what we learned was that there are a lot of integrated businesses that are also profit centers that will help you create more jobs 
keep your business viable, be able to make a profit and then give it back to the community, which we've tried to do. We created a foundation and by that circular event of earning money, doing good with it, earning more money, it, it everybody benefits. And what I've learned is the values that you build your business on and persevering through tough times based on those values and not changing who you are just because something's difficult will help you to be successful. Yeah, it doesn't always mean you'll make a lot of money, but it means that you will have a good reputation. You will have people who believe in you, that trust you, that know that you're one who has integrity. And I think that's the key is living your values. What values would you say you've built the business on? We, I, I feel like our business was built on four values that are the main values. There are a lot of them, but we named them. We've created them into a program that we use to train our employees and onboard our new employees. And the first one is integrity. Integrity is something that if you don't have integrity, you really shouldn't be in business. And the next one will be hard work. You have to work hard every day to make something successful. And it's day after day. People would ask Larry how he did it. And he'd say, I just came to work every day and gave it my best and taught it. And then the next one would be stewardship. We believe that we need to take care of what we have so that others can benefit by it. That particular value helps me to understand that I have a responsibility that other people can benefit from. And then the last one is service, giving of yourself, teaching that serving others is a privilege, that it's a way of promoting who and what you are and helping others to have better lives. So Service is a big part of our value system. And this year we had a week of service because of COVID. And instead of just doing one day of service, which we had done since Larry passed away to honor him, we felt like a week of service was more appropriate. So we did that. Our employees are allowed to go out into the community and do something. It's all organized, but they get to participate in different ways of serving the community and they all love it. It's a team building effort and something that they can give back. And the guiding principles is just go about doing good until there's too much good in the world. <laughs> there can never be too much good. That's true. <laughs> it's a lifelong pursuit. Absolutely. How have you seen your employees persevere and what have you learned about perseverance from them? I love to get to know our employees because it's not just persevering in the business. That's pretty easy. You come to work, you know what your job is, you do it every day, but it's persevering in life. And we like to talk about being driven by heart. And when you get to know the people that work for you and you understand their heart and you get to know the things they are dealing with and how hard they work in their personal lives to persevere, you get pretty proud of them and you make connections of loyalty and the service. And I think people are just, our people especially, are really good people. And that's where that comes from, not only how they are in our business, but how they are in their personal lives. I'm sure it doesn't hurt to have a wonderful leader like you to, to follow and to help encourage them to persevere through those things and 
that connection is so valuable, I'm sure. Thank you. I, I, it's, it's a two-way street. If we support and we're loyal to them, we find that they are to us. So it makes for a good, a good workplace, a good relationship, and hopefully they like to come to work every day. Absolutely. I've mentioned it a few times here and there, but this second season of the Eccles Business Buzz is focused on the topic of perseverance. And I'd love to know what perseverance means to you. What does it mean to persevere? That is a complicated question, but fairly simple answer. To me, it means every day is a new adventure. Then today is going to be different than yesterday. But because it's a new adventure, I try to look at it with fresh eyes and add it to what I've already learned. And that's persevering, knowing that I can get through today, I can do what I need to, I can benefit from what I've learned, and I can build on that for tomorrow. And I don't have to carry baggage with me every day. I can do something new and useful and find joy and courage and overcome my trials and build strength. So it's a long answer, but that's perseverance to me. No, it was perfect. What would you say has been the biggest obstacle that you have worked to overcome either in your life or your career? My biggest obstacle has been fear. Fear of failure, fear of not being good enough, fear of not being able to do what I needed to do. And that's why I wrote the book. My book is called Courage to Be You. And I've learned that I'm not alone in that fear. And if I am going to get along in the world, I have to work really hard to overcome fear. And nobody knows I'm fearful. And if I can fool everybody else, I should be able to fool myself. (laughs) And just put that down on the deepest, darkest corner of my life and say, nope, you're not going to affect me today. I'm going to be courageous. And I'm going to do all the things that I think are right that I think are beneficial and that can help other people. Absolutely. What role do you think your faith has played in giving you that courage to overcome fear? My faith has played a big role because everything I do, I look at with an eternal perspective. It isn't just what I'm doing here that counts. It's what I'm doing that will be lasting, that will make a difference in the whole scheme of things from beginning to end, wherever that is, it's, it's a timeline that doesn't end. And if, and it's also a lasting timeline. It's one of value that you don't ever give up on the idea that it's going to be good for a long time. It's going to be beneficial for a long time. And that drives me to do hard things. It drives me to be productive. It drives me to have courage and to look long-term at things rather than just for today. Absolutely. When you were talking about the fear, you know, came to my mind, I've felt that way before too, you know, the doubt of being good enough, the fear of not being able to pull something off or to do something. How do you persevere through those days? And what's your motivation to overcome that fear? 
lot of self-talk, encouragement, telling myself it's okay. It's not the end of the world if something doesn't go right. I can try again tomorrow. And it takes a long time. I There was a time in my life where I didn't even feel capable of having an opinion. I couldn't say, I think that's a beautiful tree. I would just say, isn't that a beautiful tree? And let someone else take the responsibility for it. But I learned that um, speaking up for yourself is really important. Giving yourself credit for your thoughts and feelings and not shying away from being willing to make a statement of positivity. Because the, as you do that, you build strength, you build, you build courage, you build confidence day after day after day. And it's not easy. It sounds easy, but it's not. And you have to keep reminding yourself that this is, this is an effort that will make your life better. It's a process. How did you make that transition? You mentioned building that confidence day by day. I imagine that confidence really played a key role as you took over the business and stepped into that new role. What was that transition like? It was almost like night and day. The worlds were so different. I had been a stay-at-home mom for a long, long time, 44 years, in fact, because I raised a grandson. So that part of my life, I had pretty much aced. I knew how to be a stay-at-home mom. But going into the business world, I didn't know much about what was going to be required of me or how to do it. What I did to make the transition was, number one, I looked at my life and I said, what are the things I've learned being a mother that will help me being a businesswoman? And there were a lot of them, like I learned conflict resolution. I learned financial management. I learned scheduling. I learned a lot of things that translate over into the business world. And then the next thing I did was I hired a coach. I heard someone to help me learn how to be my best self in the business world because I knew nothing about navigating in a world that was strongly established. And a lot of people wondered if I was capable of doing what I was attempting to do. I had to become uh, confident of that. And having a coach helped me understand how to portray that confidence and how to build that confidence. At one point I realized if I'm going to do this, I have to be all in. It's not a part-time thing. I have to decide that I will give it the effort that it's going to take and I'll learn everything I can about it and I will get to know the people. I will let them get to know me. I will attend all the things that will allow that. I'll, I'll be the best person I know how to be. So those are things that help me transition from the private world into the business world. And, and one other thing, in addition to that, I started taking on civic responsibilities. I was on the board of director, board of trustees of Salt Lake Community College. I was on a commission called by Mayor Becker to study homelessness. I got into the homelessness initiatives, a lot of things that gave me an opportunity to see how things work that I might have learned if I'd gone to college, but I learned through the school of hard knocks. <laughs> Paid off for you, for sure. Well, I've enjoyed it. It's been a lot of fun. 
What advice would you give to mothers, to women who are looking to make that transition from staying at home with their children and with their families into the workforce? I appreciate the question, but I don't know if I'm qualified to give any advice on that because it's such a personal thing. And each woman has to decide for herself where she wants to put her effort because you cannot have a balanced life. There's no such thing as giving your kids the time they need and balancing that between having the time you need for your career. So I always think of it as seasons of life. There is a time to be a mother and a wife and a homemaker. There's a time to go to school. There's a time to build your career. And if they dovetail, that's great. If you can manage that, that's great. But only whether you're capable of doing that. And, and if it doesn't work, it doesn't mean you're a failure. It just means maybe the time isn't right, but it will be later. So that's how I look at it. And I, I, I think if women want to have a career, that's great. I, more power to them. I look at women who have great careers and I think, wow. I wish I could do that. And then I think if they want to be a stay-at-home mom, I don't think there's anything more important than that. So it's not an either-or. It's a matter of where your focus is and what you really want to do, what you want for yourself. And I think you can have a career and have wonderful children at the same time, but you need help. (laughs) You need someone to be your partner in that. You can, and I certainly wouldn't judge anyone if they chose one over the other. There are so many causes in the world. And as you mentioned, you are actively involved with so many. And you mentioned getting involved with those civic responsibilities. How do you choose where to devote your time? Some of it's a matter of what I'm asked to do. I, I want to be careful here because you're always welcome to say no when someone asks you to do something. You don't have to do everything you're asked to do. But I think being careful about time management is very important. I've been asked to work in areas of school issues, of homelessness, politics, of education. And they're all very interesting to me. They're all very dynamic. They're all important. I don't know that I have an impact on any of them. But for me, it's helped me learn a lot. And if I can have some influence somewhere in a good way, I'm willing to serve. And I think that's the key. I'm willing to do what I can do to help make our community better or our, help our issues that we have in the community. And it, uh, that's what I really love about Utah. We're built that way. We help each other. We serve each other. We come together for good causes. So I just want to be a part of whatever it is that makes us better. We are lucky to, lucky to be here in Utah and to have so many wonderful members of our community that have that service mindset and are looking for ways to help and make things better. I believe that. This year has seen pretty dramatic change for the Larry H. Miller Group of Companies. How do you envision the future of the company? And what do you want the legacy, your legacy, to be? 
We have undergone a lot of changes. We've sold the Utah Jazz, but we've bought a couple of new businesses. So I see us with a bright future. I think we are going to do a lot of interesting, dynamic, new things that will keep us involved for a long time. We bought a healthcare company that covers a lot of the same footprint our dealerships are in, which is seven Western states. We bought, of course, we bought Daybreak, the 1,300 undeveloped acres in Daybreak, which we plan to develop. And we will do more in the development business. We have a lot of really wonderful strong, talented leaders and dedicated employees. And I'm, I'm really grateful for them because that to me means we can tackle just about anything we want to. I think we'll continue to do good things. We'll continue to be a company that provides good jobs and opportunities, helps education. We actually provide scholarships for our employees' children and scholarships for our employees if they want to go back to school and improve their education to help with their jobs. So those are other things that we think are really important and we'll continue to do that. And so I think the future is really bright and we'll, our main focus is to enrich lives. It's exciting to hear about the next chapter and it'll be fun to see everything unfold in a new way. Yep, it's going to be, it's an exciting time. Things are changing so rapidly. New new businesses, new ventures, new ways of doing things. Whole new world of education. It's, it's uh, an exciting time to be alive. Hope I can live a long time. <laughs> it is a very exciting time to be alive. We are going to take just a quick break from today's incredible episode with Gail Miller. I would love to introduce you all to Katie Pierce. Katie works on my team with me. She is an Associate Director of Development here at the David Eccles School of Business and is one of our incredible fundraisers. And she's here to talk to you today about how you can leave your own legacy like Gail was discussing today. So Katie. Thanks, Lancia. And thanks for putting together another amazing Business Buzz podcast. I'd love to follow up with our listeners today on something really important to all of us that Gail Miller mentioned in her discussion about leaving a legacy. It is much easier than you think, and everyone can do it. With a little bit of inspiration, a little bit of planning, you can leave your own legacy supporting the future success of the David Eccles School of Business. From scholarships and professorships to program support, our alumni have been able to make a transformational impact. If you would like some help in creating your own legacy, please give me a call. I'd be happy to help you. My number is 801-585-7296, or feel free to reach out via email at katiepierce at eccles.utah.edu. That's K-A-T-I-E dot P-E-A-R-C-E at eccles.utah.edu. Or you can just refer to the podcast notes for links. Thanks, Lancia. Thanks so much, Katie. And yes, for all of our listeners, if you would like to talk more with Katie, we will include all the information that she just mentioned in our show notes today. You can also find it at eccles.link slash business buzz. Let's get back to the episode. I 
I like to ask all of the guests who join us for one book recommendation, whether it be something that you've read recently, something that you read years ago that really stuck with you. I just think it's so interesting to hear from leaders in many different industries of what stuck with them. So I read mostly historical, uh, biographical, or self-help books. (laughs) Those are my favorite too. (laughs) So anything that has to do with those subjects I'm interested in. Actually, I did just read a book about the water world, what is in the ocean, and it was fascinating. So there are there's so many interesting things to read and so little time to do it. <laughs> it is. It is. It goes back to living a long time. We need all the time we can to read all those books. Thank you so much for joining me today, Gail, and for sharing your stories and your experience with perseverance and for, you know, giving us all a peek into what's next for, for your business and for you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Eccles Business Buzz podcast. If you enjoyed the show today, please subscribe using your favorite podcast player and be sure to give us a rating and review. You can check out more of our content at echoes.link slash business buzz. Until next time, go Utes.